Red Sox Nation, it's a kind of a family. Wherever I roam, a Fenway home, that's where I long to be. I'm a member of a Red Sox Nation, it's a kind of insanity. Yeah, I live and die with Red Sox pride for eternity. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Benny and the Bats podcast covering Boston Red Sox baseball. For everyone staying up late tonight on Periscope, the podcast, as always, can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and literally everywhere. Red Sox wrapped up a three-game set against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Not a very good one, as we will get into. I am Terry Cushman, and I'm joined, as always, by Jeremy Schilling. And coming off the bench tonight, uh, Joshua Nord. How are you guys? Um, I'm somewhere between terrible and bad. <laughs> I'm doing great there. Nice to be here. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm, I so, already don't I'm like somewhere optimism. I'm somewhere between Jeremy and Josh. And uh, yeah, so uh, I guess I'll just get uh, right into the uh, next depressing recap before we get into shout outs and call outs. Game one, Friday, Rick Porcello squared off against Zach Godley. Andrew Benintendi got the Sox on the board. Top of the third, drove in Blake Swihart. Porcello gave up one run in the third to tie the game and then proceeded to give up four runs in the fourth, two in the fifth. Score was seven to one at that point. Porcello would be done after five and two thirds. But Brian Johnson comes into the game and says, Oh, yeah, I'll give up seven and one inning. And he did. Score was 14 to one. Sox did kind of rally, if you want to call it that. They scored four runs in the eighth, three in the ninth. Not enough. Diamondbacks win 15 to eight. Game two, Saturday, David Price versus Luke Weaver who the Diamondbacks got in the Paul Goldschmidt trade. Top of the second, Sox strung together. Several hits, Nunez, Price, Benintendi, each drove in a run. Uh, That was the first RBI in his career for David Price. Diamondbacks responded similarly in the bottom of the fourth, uh, scored four runs. Top of the seventh, Mookie Betts drove in Jackie Bradley on a sack fly. Game was tied 4-4 to until the bottom of the ninth when Carson Kelly, another piece of the Paul Goldschmidt trade, walked it off and 5-4 uh, was the final Diamondbacks. Sox had one last chance to win a game in Game 3. Hector Velazquez doing a spot start, got through three scoreless innings, Bullpen came in, uh, Brandon Workman, uh, uh, Walden Barnes, and then Brazier closed it out. Only run scored all day was a Mitch Moreland solo home run 
Sucks win that one one to nothing. So Diamondbacks do take the series two games to one. Sox mercifully uh, will get away from the West Coast for their home opener against the Blue Jays on Tuesday. So we will transition into shout-outs and call-outs. If you haven't heard this segment, all three of us will call out a Red Sox or MLB-wide player, and then we'll loop back around and call out uh, another player. So, uh, Jeremy, go ahead, lead us off. Who would you like to shout-out? Brandon Workman, um, guy who has had a few years to get back um, from an injury and, and a productive form. Five innings pitched this year, one walk, seven Ks. He has a obviously deflated whip uh, only after five appearances, but a .2 whip, which is just ridiculous. Um, he's Today he came in the fourth inning, uh, got two fly balls to left, quick third out, uh, and really set the tone for what wound up being a bullpen game. Um so I thought he was awesome. He's been awesome. He's pitched in different circumstances, um, different innings. Uh, he's really been a Swiss Army knife thus far. His his curveball has been awesome. Uh, he's throwing it for strikes when he needs to. He's uh, locating outside the strike zone to get swings and misses on the pitch, and his fastball is better than it's been, uh, where we had some concerns on this podcast a month ago during spring training when he was really in the 80s. Now he's low 90s. Uh, wasn't getting people out in the spring. Well, once the games became real, he's been one of the lone bright spots on this team. So Brandon Workman, great start to the season, and let's hope he can carry it uh, through the year and, and have an important role in that bullpen. Isn't it crazy how he had uh, you know kind a semi critical uh, you know late inning role in the 2013 World Series, and then here we are 2019. He's had some injuries, including a Tommy John, but. Still hasn't truly had that breakout yet, so hopefully with a decent start here, maybe he will finally get it this year. But the- you know, One thing is he never saw the large jump in velocity that a lot of guys that have had the, the surgery have uh, have seen. Um, you know, I, pitched a guy, I pitched with a guy in college who was uh, 85, had the surgery, came back 92, 93 hmm. with an absolutely elite you know, college fastball. Uh, so I saw it firsthand. If for whatever reason Workman uh, hasn't done that, but I have to say his curveball is really, really good. And when he needs to throw it for a strike, he can get a looking strike. When he when he needs to be off the plate, he can be off the plate at a, at, a, at spots where guys are enticed to swing at it. And then he'll 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 throw his fastball, show his fastball. And what he's been really good at is he's he's not put himself in a position where the fastball's gotten him in any trouble where he's down 3-1 and he's got a challenge with a fastball that's just not great. So what he does is he works ahead. He shows the fastball when he has to, whether it be in the strike zone or out, and then he gets people out with the curveball. So uh, I've been really, really impressed, and I hope that um, for a guy who's really put in the work to get back, I really hope he uh, he finds a nice role. And it seems like his role may be a three out, you know, one inning guy in whatever role it has to be. And today, with the uh, with Velasquez getting the start, who also, by the way, pitched awesome, gave you a chance to win. Uh, he went out and set the tone for uh, what wound up being a shutout on uh, four hits. So uh, 
Uh, there's there's a couple people I think that are a little bit more obvious, but I thought it'd be nice to point out that Workman's really really been important to this team uh, in their goddamn disaster of a start. Yeah, well, in this segment, you can shout out whoever you want. So I, I thought that was a good choice. Uh, Josh, go ahead with yours. So my shout-out is going to be uh, a question. And if I told you that last year's MVP is the biggest surprise of this year, you'd probably think I'm an idiot, right? Well, the fact is, everything pointed that it was going to be a one-time thing with Christian Yelich. But to start off 2019 season... He has been doing what he's been doing for the past couple of months of the 2018 season, and that's putting up Barry Bonds' number. Just for these last four games, six for 12, four home runs, eight RBIs. He's become the heart and soul of this Brewers team. He's become this this idol of Milwaukee, and they were just one game away from the World Series. Getting there was kind of a miracle run in itself. It looks like they're off to a strong start in what I think is a loaded uh, division in the NL Central. And I think Christian Yelich is going to play a key part in that the whole way through. And he just might. He just might. He's picked up right where he's left off. And I just said last week, the Yankees must be killing themselves because they had the means to go after Yelich instead mm. of Stanton, and they and it would have been so much cheaper. They get Yelich, suddenly they have the money for Machado, and they're a better team if they do that. So, well, uh, I think. Half of it comes from, did anyone expect this from Yelich? I mean, before 2018, he was just a one-time All-Star. And granted, that was a good year he had, but I guess you could say this about every Marlins player. Did anybody expect any of them to wind up the way they did once they left Miami? Well, he was signed to an early kind of team-friendly extension, similar to what Bregman had, and he didn't have quite the the breakout that Bregman had, but I think he's mm-hmm. locked up through... 2022 2023 or something so i think they saw some potential i don't think that they thought you know necessarily mvp type uh production but mm-hmm. but i don't know I, I i like the brewers so i'm i'm happy for them oh they're great this year they're gonna be so awesome and they lost their pitching coach you know who kind of helped mastermind their success last year and Corey Nebel is on the DL. Suter is still on it. I just I don't know how they're doing it, but they uh, they are so far. So um, I'll get into my uh, shout out. I'm simply gonna go with uh, Mitch Moreland. You know, this series is completely lost, possibly if he doesn't hit that solo today. And the Red Sox only have three wins on the season so far with three and eight. But in all three wins, Moreland played a critical role. He had that ninth inning pinch hit, three-run bomb. We were down by two at the time, so it put us ahead by one. Ended up being the difference in that game. Uh, He drove in two runs in the one win against Oakland. And uh, and then, like I said, the solo today. So, luckily, somebody is showing up in clutch situations uh, because we could uh, we could be you know one in nine or zero for ten, you know, whatever. But um, but yeah, I'm giving it to uh, Moreland this time. Jeremy, who uh, who would you like to call out? Well, there's so many choices, um, <laughs> but I'm going to just – Rafi Devers sucks. He has sucked. He <laughs> sucked 
he was hitting in the third. That lasted about five seconds before uh, Cora put him back into the six or seven hole. Um, so he's had 40 at bats. He struck out in nine. Uh, I'm sorry. He has struck out, yeah, in nine of those. So he's just under 25% strikeout rate. That's not great. Um, some would say, well, Jeremy, sluggers strike out. Uh, you actually have to slug to that for that to make sense because he's slugging 275. He's hitting 225. He's getting on base at a 311 clip with an OPS at 586. He should be in the minor leagues if he wasn't so highly touted. He has sucked. And here's the thing. He can't play defense. So if he's not slugging and he's not an offensive difference maker, then he is a goddamn nightmare. It's too early in the season to have the war stats out, but once they uh, get to the minimum to allow the war um, statistics to be released, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at his with one eye closed. It's going to be tough to watch. Um, you know, he's got two extra base hits, um, but he has stunk out loud and... and I think he may be one guy who's looking forward to that first double off the wall to get himself going in Fenway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's really plate discipline is what he needs the most. You know, if he can get that OBP up a little more, draw a few more walks, be a little bit more patient, I think the the timely hitting would then kind of fall into place. But last year his, his OBP was under three. Like, it was just all or nothing, and, um, you know, and he went on the DL, and he did kind of play some some critical roles in the month of October. He had a, he had a couple of key hits there, similar to, like, Bradley, because he won the, you know, the ALCS MVP on three hits, which were his only three. Um, so, but, you know, you look at young third basemen like uh, Andahar and... Uh, drawing blanks one one or two others and he just quite hasn't you know elevated himself to their level so it'd, it'd be nice to see because he's been one of our you know top prospects in you know we saw middlebrooks ultimately flounder so hopefully mm -hmm. we don't see it here uh josh who would you like to uh call out so my call out is a guy who five months ago was an absolute villain for the people of Boston, and that's Yaziel Puig. Now, I went into this season thinking that Yaziel Puig was going to be a breakout MVP candidate. He's coming to Cincinnati Reds with championship, you know, veteran presence. He comes in there pissed off at the Dodgers organization. We all know what he can do with both bat and glove. I thought it was all there in the mix for one hell of a season. And what has he done so far? I mean, the highlight has been him fighting the entire Pittsburgh Pirates. He <laughs> is hitting about 133. It's a hell I of think. a highlight, by the way. Yeah, that's the Renaissance paint. Beautiful. I would get it hanged up if I were him. He's got three RBIs. I don't even think he has a home run, anything like that. I actually had picked the Reds to be probably my favorite team of the National League going into the 2019 season. They're currently sitting at 1-8. and eight. That whole team's been a big disappointment but nothing bigger than the player himself, Yaziel Puig. Yeah, I've never been a big fan of his antics, and a couple of years ago he was, the Dodgers offered him to the Red Sox for Jackie Bradley straight up, and mm -hmm. 
I wouldn't mind, honestly. I'm not a Bradley guy, so it wouldn't have hurt my feelings to see him go, but I don't want anything to do with Yasiel Puig. I mean, we're, <laughs> we're a circus all by I, ourselves. We don't need... I fell in love with him in that World Series. Uh, I, I mean, the, the, just, the emotion he displayed, I mean, I love to hate him. Don't get me wrong. I hated him, and I'm so glad we beat him. We, we embarrassed him, and he was crying in the dugout as we won, but... His performance last October, that was just cool. Yeah. As a baseball fan, that's what you look for. That's what you want. That bomb off of E-Ride, and I, I felt it coming, too, because I'm like, oh, Cora's just leaving him in there too long, you know, and then it Yeah, happened. with the glove spike and everything, though, that's a beautiful uh, photo, if you've ever seen it. Yeah. I don't like the way he runs his tongue off his baseball bat. It just kind of Oh, no, it's weird. She makes me feel out. weird. Yeah. Good. <laughs> as Good a, it's creepy. It takes a lot for me to get creeped out, but that, that certainly does it. Um, and my shout out, uh, call out, excuse me, my call out. Now, Josh kind of confessed to me before we came on that Rick Porcello is, you know, is his boy, but I, mm-hmm. I have to do it. I have to do it. Um, he started game one of this series, uh, gave up seven runs, gave up. I think it only ended up being four earned runs the first time around, but um, he didn't. He d- definitely didn't look good that start, and there was some bad defense behind him. But I don't see any signs of this guy getting back to, you know, where he was. You know, even in 2018, you know, 2016, obviously he was a Cy Young. I'm still wondering how the hell that happened, but um, but he's just. He's not looking good, and if the Red Sox are going to make a run at this division, you you need Porcello to pitch at least well enough to keep us into games, and we haven't seen it so far. And I know it's only two starts, but his ERA is 13.50. So um, hopefully we get it turned around. Luckily, he won't be facing the Blue Jays this series. Um, they tend to you know, knock him around pretty bad. So um, maybe maybe in his next start, I'm assuming against Baltimore, he can kind of get it reined in. But that's who I am going with. So uh, just getting into the general segment now. Um, lost another series. So um, what gives? Like... I mean, are you guys feeling like coming home to face Toronto? Is that is that going to turn us around? And Chris Sale does have the home opener. Exactly what the doctor ordered today. Exactly what the doctor ordered. I think you win today, one to zero. Great performance by the pitching. It's exactly what you needed. You got your clutch hit. Go home, get your rings. You're facing the Blue Jays. They're a joke. You're facing Baltimore. They're an even bigger joke. I I think this is when we're going to start breaking out, and it's, it's going to be in Boston in front of the home crowd. This is the way to do it. The West Coast trip, as I said before, was a complete nightmare, and it always is. Let's be honest. There was a stat going around that we were like like 300 winning percentage in Oco uh, for, for Oakland. Uh, Mariners had the best like opening day record. And I honestly don't know what happened with the Diamondback. But these things just kind of happen when this team goes over to the West Coast. It's never pretty. And 
I guess the only thing to say is that I'm happy it's out of the way in April and not in September when we're battling for the division, you know? Against Oakland, in Oakland, I guess we're, we were like 15 out of our last 47, so that's definitely yeah, one of our worst ballparks. Pathetic. Yeah, Jeremy, your thoughts on the Sox coming home? Um, I, I mean, I hope Josh is right, and I do. I mean, this team has historically been really good in Fenway Park, even when they had years where they're just not successful for the for the full season. Uh, part of that being that the wall is the dynamic that some teams, you know, and pitchers have said. Kurt Schilling said that it was different pitching with that wall behind him, um, and there's been various other vocal. Uh, visiting pitchers that have said that there's a block in their mind that when they get at Fenway Park, that the closeness to that wall and the size of the wall and whatever else may be a factor, it's something that sits in the back of these pitchers' minds. And and, and the Red Sox have bats that are geared towards you know those wall scrapers. Uh, I've already mentioned Devers, but Benintendi can take advantage. Moreland, um, you know, obviously historically no one's been better than Big Poppy. So I, I'm hopeful. Now here's the problem. Okay. They've been so pathetic. They've been so lackluster. <laughs> They've been so terrible in every single spot. I mean, one I saw a tweet like three days ago. That's like someone te- someone tweeted. I don't remember who and nor would I bring up their specific handle because I don't want to eviscerate them. But they're like, I can't believe we didn't go after pitching this offseason and just address hitting. Um, Earth to whoever, it's the same team. <laughs> Mine is Joe Kelly. Um, th- they, for whatever reason cannot let last year go today before the game i'll read a a a a quote from a friend of the program christopher smith um on at masslive.com alex cora said assistant hitting coach andy barkett summed it up best last year was disney world this year is real baseball uh to paraphrase my retweet of that hey alex shut up about last year shut up like it stopped talking about last year, I, again, I hate to use the, the Patriots as an example, but the minute that the, the calendar flips, the Patriots don't talk about the last one. And the good teams don't. The teams that are can, can compartmentalize the seasons, turn the page, and then it's about this year only, and they just they don't bring it up. And because they keep bringing it up, because Alex Cora keeps talking about it, because Andy Barkett felt the need to say something to Alex Cora, and Alex Cora felt the need to say something to the media, the media keeps picking it up. Guys, like I just can't wait for this ring ceremony to happen. Get it over with and stop talking about last year. Last year's not going to happen again. Uh, uh, I saw another stat. If they play 600 baseball, this is before today's game, if they play 600 baseball the rest of the way, they win 93 games. That may not be good enough. I think the Rays had 93 wins last year and didn't make a, um, didn't make a wild card. So um, I hope you're right, Josh. I, the last part I have is when things are snowballing this bad and this pathetically, your teams press. And I don't get the sense they're doing it. Like they, they pan to the clubhouse and people are still goofing around and being pretty loose, which I, I, I think is a good thing. You don't need this team getting um, too tight and, 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 and playing like every pitch is potentially going to be a determining factor in the game. Well, I think it's already hit some players. I mean, we we've all seen the uh, the footage of you know Rick Purcell throwing the water cooler, but I I want to say a couple of games ago, do you remember um, Jackie Bradley Jr. was up there, and I think there was a runner on second, two outs. 
he strikes out and he slams the bat. I've never seen that show of emotion from Jackie Bradley Jr. I mean, well, that- this is a guy when he hits a home run, he keeps his head down. So I think there are a couple of players who are tight. JBJ is definitely one of them because, I mean, the guy's terrible right now. I think he might even be hitless. So I think yeah, he's no, he, starting to hit. Look, my, my, I, I don't have a problem with a guy here or a guy there because it's baseball. Yeah. You're, there's always a guy that's in the middle of an 0 for 12. Always. My problem, my comment is whether or not it's going to be systemic. So, I, and, I, and, because, and like I just said, I don't think that's going to happen. But that's my concern is they get to Fenway. Even though they're back at Fenway, by the way, we got to talk about last year one more time. Like I, I hate this ring mm-hmm. ceremony. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if this team was, you know, six and five, I'd be all in on the ring ceremony. But but, but because of the way the team started, I just that ring ceremony just irritates me to no end. But celebrate last year one more time. They do deserve it. If you boo them for last year, uh, you know you're an idiot. Cheer, Absolutely. celebrate the ring. The minute Benintendi strikes out on three pitches, start booing this team. That's fine. But compartmentalize what happened last year and let's get past it. Let the team get past it. Let Alex Cora get past it. So just to sum up, if this team can can play loose and not let the start of the season snowball on them, I do expect them to get hot here at Fenway. And keep in mind, with 11 games on the road out of the way, um, you know they've got 151, and the far majority of those are at home. So. Let's see what happens, but you got to start winning them in a row. You got to start stringing them here. I, I mean, I'm. I think I've been pretty calm for as badly as they've been doing because I'm obviously, you know, I'm more negative than your average, your average <laughs> Twitter guy. You can but, join the light side there. It's not but, that bad of a place. I've just been just kind of chilling out for the most part, you know, save for a couple of slide snide remarks here and there. I, I hope the, you know, the Fenway atmosphere kind of lifts them up a little bit and, and gets them firing on all cylinders. I've been concerned the whole time about the bullpen. They haven't really given me a lot to be concerned about so far. Barnes has been stellar every time out. Brazier as well. As Jeremy pointed out uh, in an earlier segment, uh, you know, Workman it has kind of stepped it up. So we kind of need that, and we need these guys to, at the very least, tread water till maybe at least one of the kids is ready to be called up. I'm still, uh, you know, initially disappointed because Hernandez got sent to AA as a starter. You know, because I feel like if he, if he's gonna be starting, he's gonna need longer in the minors. So, oh, you think we're gonna call up people this season? Well, I mean, Lakins should be should be fairly close. I haven't checked on him lately. Uh, Durbin Feltman, I think, will be ready uh, by the All Star break. You know, provided that his you know, you know performance is is pretty good, yeah. but. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're gonna need. I think the bullpen's gonna come down to earth a little bit. So, um, but they're they're doing their job so far. They've only had really three games of high leverage. Well, I shouldn't say that because um, the David Price game, even though we lost, we were in that all the way until the ninth. But um, there really hasn't been a ton of high leverage innings there. And then I'm still. We don't know what the hell sale is. You know, we might have a better idea of that. Uh, after Tuesday, um, 
Porcello and Evaldi are who they are. You know, they're career for something guys. So at least one of them will have to step up and kind of play over their heads. And I think we're all ready to move on from Erod. We're just pretty frustrated. <laughs> and the lineup I'm not worried about. I mean, yeah, we, you know, squeaked by with a one to nothing win today. And, you know, two of those Oakland games were scoreless, but. I do feel like they will get it together, and I'm not worried about them. I just want to see this team fire on all cylinders, and and we've sputtered, you know. So I don't know. I'm just hoping. I'm just hoping they pick it up at home. Uh, also, uh, Dustin Pedroia might be the starting second baseman. Josh, what are your thoughts on that? Second baseman for the home opener. I believe so. Uh, have they said I, he's going to DH or? I I like Pajoya, and I'm a huge supporter of him. I do not think that's going to happen. I, I I think just being around you has made me more negative towards him, Terry. Because <laughs> I used to be, you know, I was like, oh, you know, he's just he's right up there with David Ortiz. You know, he's he's our guy. He's Dustin Pajoya. But ever since that injury by Manny Machado, I. I think it might be time to hang it up. And I know he's got so much money and obviously he has that drive and stuff, but like eventually the body gives out and he doesn't exactly have like a, a pristine, you know, athletic body with how hard he's been playing for these past couple of years. I I think this might be one of the season's disappointment is that Pejoya just can't do it again. Yeah, so you're you're on the same wagon as me, and I will take credit for that. Um, he's hit okay down in, uh, in extended spring training. Actually, I think he's with, the the high a, uh, Greenville team. Yeah. And he, I think he was 0 for 4 today, but he, he was having, you know, two or three hits a game there for a little while. Um, you know, and played a, a, at least a couple back to back, but I'm reading here that, uh, and this was as of two hours ago. He could be activated for opening day. So uh, that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to start, but he will be uh, with the big club that day. I feel like he probably will. If it's the home opener and he's activated, I don't see how he's not in the lineup. And, you know, they're going to want the crowd uh, into the game. So I, I think he's most likely to be in the lineup. Jeremy, your thoughts? He's going to be in the lineup, guys. Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, well, this is a team that, like, so, like, what was it after the Bobby Valentine year? Like, sold bricks, and you could like put your name in like a brick wall. And hey, don't think about how bad our team is. Here's this cool thing we're doing. They they don't want people talking about the start. So what are they going to do? They're going to put in Pedroia, and there's a certain port, uh, part of the fan base that's going to eat that up. You know, like like Cheerios before uh, a day of kindergarten. Um, I, I think it's ridiculous. I'd like to, Terry, can I, and I'd like your opinion on this. I'd like to call out a, uh, a tweet that, that someone tweeted at you a couple of hours ago under your, um, tweet talking about anyone want to cover anything, uh, on tonight's podcast specifically. Can I read uh, yeah, this tweet just to show you how homeless people, how homeless people can be? And I'm, I'm, I'm on the side of Homerism versus what you are, Terry. But yeah. this tweet today, I mean, it, it, all right. I, at. BOS Sox fan 34. Okay. <laughs> I mean, this is great. All right. So he says to your tweet, 
anything anyone want covered on the podcast type tonight specifically? This is the answer, okay? Please go into detail of how brainless you have to be to not like Pedroia. Hurt or not, all injuries put aside, how the heck can you not absolutely adore the dude? Sickening. It's the epitome of a teammate, leader, and player. Your hate for him is unfathomable. <laughs> what? Can we ring the moron alert bill, uh, bell, please? All right, let me go into this. Okay, brainless. Pedroia has done absolutely nothing for two seasons. Okay? Absolutely nothing. He got hurt on a play where he did not back his... And I'm just going to be on this quickly because we've talked about it. He got hurt on a play where the douchebag Machado hurt him. And when the teammates went to defend him, he a- he absolutely threw them under the bus and defended Machado for whatever reason. Absolute... I mean, and I'm sorry. The minute you do that, you adopt Machado's scumbagness and not whatever you think you are. Okay? Now, how can you not absolutely adore a dude? He's, he sucks. He's not a leader. He hasn't been productive. It's not sickening. It's actually having a brain and and looking at a player and saying, is he a positive to the team or not? Because he hasn't been for two years. He's not the epitome of a teammate, a leader, and a player. Again, the Machado thing. But I hearken back to the Eck thing, which in my opinion was even worse. Because they, they absolutely eviscerated a guy who's paid by the team to give opinions on the broadcast. And he, along with David Price and Jackie Bradley Jr. and others, Attacked a guy on the team plane, which is, by the way, you couldn't be a bigger scumbag move in my in my opinion. So I'm not saying you have to hate him, but it's not unfathomable unfathomable not to like the guy because he hasn't been productive and he's not a leader. He hid behind David Ortiz for a decade as some sort of leader when he never was that. The minute David Ortiz left, he came out as his true colors, which is a really guy, a, a, a really good player in his prime. Who played really hard, but he's not a leader, and people do not respond to him. In fact, it took him being hurt for the year and away for the team for this team to reach heights that's never reached in its entire 116 years. So, get out of here with the David Pedroia nonsense. And I, I mean, I can't come out any stronger against him. If you tweet at me or whatever for for the Pedroia bullshit, I'm coming at you because it, you're you're the homer. You're the person that's being unfathomable. He has been a nothing to this organization for two years. Yeah, I and I know who you're talking about. I have that tweet up right now. Uh, I mean, people like him, I'm sure I have argued with him at some point, but there's just no, there's no, you know, talking these people out of it. They're never going to see it any other way. Um, so I just... I don't. Well, we're gonna find out if he listens to the podcast because I didn't. I didn't bother replying to him, (laughs) but we've certainly spent a fair share of five minutes absolutely eviscerating him and calling it what was it the moron tweet of the day? I think that's how that's the segment. Moron tweet of the day goes to at boss socks fan thirty four. You're welcome. Inaugural award. Congratulations. Yeah, and he'll uh, he'll block us immediately uh, when Pedroia goes on the DL or whatever. Um, or or worse, hopefully, if he gets the. Well, so that's the that's the difference too, though. You and I aren't going to go on Twitter, or I won't. I can't speak for Terry, obviously, <laughs> but I will not go on and be like, "Oh my God, you're right, you're right, you're right. I, I was right, I was right. I'm not. I, I want him to be successful because my last call out was Rafi Nunez, who's been terrible, and the only reason why I didn't have him be the call out today is because I had him 
the call out in the midweek show. He has sucked. Brock Holt is out because his son, Griffin, scratched his cornea. Two-way Lynn's already up. Two-way Lynn's getting at bats in big moments. So guess what? Pedroia being successful is good for the program here. I hope that if he does start, which he's going to, and he's hitting leadoff, which they say he's going to, that he goes three for four with two RBIs, and he, he's the spark. And then everyone can blow him for the next two months as they say he's the reason why all of a sudden we're on fire, even though that's not one player turns these things around. But that's what's going to happen if he gets hot. And I'm here for it, guys. I'm here for it because I want the Red Sox to win 96 games and get in the playoffs. So if Pedroia is successful, that means we're going to be more likely to be successful as a program, which I'm for. But So I'm not going to come out and say, oh, my God, Pedroia started 0-15. Like, hey, everyone, eat crow. That's not Because I don't want that. Do I think it's more likely than him coming out hitting 350 for a month? Yeah, of course. I mean, I, he's proven nothing in the last two years. But I'm rooting for him just like anybody with the Boston Red Sox jersey on. Well, for me, it's about, I don't want to say defending myself because, I mean, if I'm wrong, I'll admit I'm wrong. But, but I mean, if I can, if I can stab a heart in, into the, you know, a dagger into the heart of a Pedroia hugger, and he gives us nothing like I highly suspect he will, at least over, you know, an extended period of time. I'm going to do it. I don't see any shame in that. And, you know, if I, I take shit from everybody all the time. So, so you know, I've, I've eaten my fair share of crow. Can you explain why that is? I'm sorry? I said, well, you eat shit all the time because you have, you have some interesting uh, Twitter opinions. But, no... And Terry, I don't. I it, it's on brand for you, right? It's on brand for you, and that's why the minute I started my comment, I pulled back on speaking for you, and I don't ever want to speak for you. And I and and you're that's but no, I get it. Look, I get I'll it. be the first. I'll I, be the first one to say he sucks. He sucks. But I also don't want to rub people's noses in it. And honestly, if he does start, let's say four of ten and wins a game with a home run in the bottom of the ninth, and and everyone's literally just you know, hugging each other in the stands because he's back and our little leader's back. I'll, I'll be okay with it. I'll be okay to be wrong temporarily because he's never going to be the player that he was five years ago. It's not happening, guys. You listed it's off not. a lot of the controversies, you know, Machado, Eckersley, but a- another one, especially when you're talking about leadership, that is is really at the forefront of, of my mind is – the very first inning of game four of the 2017 ALCS, we were, it was a, it was a go or go home game. If we lost that game, which we did end up doing to the Astros, we were done in the ALCS, ALDS, excuse me, for the second year in a row. And Dustin Pedroia had a fucking meltdown on the home plate umpire over a strike call. And Farrell comes out, gets ejected. That doesn't hurt my feelings so much because I, you know, we probably have a better chance to win the game if somebody else is making the decisions. But I wouldn't want to see a leader, and I'm using air quotes here for the Periscope people, losing his fucking losing his fucking composure in a huge game. And the Dustin Pedroia huggers would say, "Oh, he's just." He's just firing up his team. Well, it doesn't always work that way. And I don't know how many times a player gets ejected in the fifth, sixth, or seventh innings or a manager or whatever. The The team is usually losing and goes on to still lose the game. So 
I want to see my team focus, locked in, and not fucking crying about stupid shit like that. And that's one of the the things that I kind of worry about. And we did win 108 games last year without Dustin Pedroia. <laughs> maybe, maybe we win five less than that. There's no way to tell, but I just... I love the fact that Dustin Pedroia wasn't in the lineup last year, and I, I can't say. I mean, if he blew, if he blows his knee out running the bases, he's probably still a better base runner than Eduardo Nunez. As terrible as that guy's been, <laughs> but um, I don't know. I'm not going to miss him, and I really feel like so, on any other team he would have been cut by now. Well. Not at the money he's making. So you're taking it a step far, a step further, which is fine. You're, you're, and maybe I'm taking my interpretation of what you're saying a step far. But for me, you're basically rooting against him. You want him to fail. I'm, I don't want him to fail. But but in reading Boss Sox Fan 34's tweet, which is like just an absolute F minus tweet. To, to sit there and eviscerate people that have an independent thought and can say to themselves, this guy has not been a positive to the Boston Red Sox for two or three years, to, for the people that have come out that strong the other way, that's the part that's hard to believe. I mean, look, I love my mother. She's an overly positive. Terry would hate my mother, okay? Because <laughs> my mother is just the ultimate positive Boston sports fan. Um, but even my mother is like, hey, you know, Jay, uh, you know, do you think him coming back is a good thing? Because I'm just not so, so sure about it. And so if my mother is, like, hesitant about Pedroia coming back and being a positive on the team, I'm sorry, but it's just, it's, to say you're an idiot, to, to not, how the heck can you not absolutely adore the dude? That's the quote. Sickening. He's the epitome of a teammate, leader, and player. I mean, he gets the hashtag wrong on that, man. I'm sorry. Um, now I'm not gonna. I'm just gonna root against him. I'm not gonna root against him. I'm not gonna root against anybody in a Boston Red Sox uniform because at the end of the day, and I've said this a hundred times, I don't care if you are a criminal. If you are helping the Boston Red Sox win games, I'm a, I'm here for you. But if if you're not, then I don't care if, if if you know if you read the Bible an hour before you go to the bed every night. If you're not helping the team, I got I have no use for you. And he has not helped the team in two years. Well, just to wrap up my thoughts on that, again, and I'm reiterating, I guess, I just have very little faith it'll happen. But if it does happen, I mean, have you heard me trash David Price since the playoffs when I was doing it incessantly for two months, you know, coming into the playoffs and even halfway through the playoffs, you know, because he did have that bad Yankee start. Eventually, I will shut up. If the player is performing, no matter how I feel about him, I will shut up. But I just, I don't, I just don't see it happening here. And you know, Holtz on the DL and say, say, I'm with you on that. I don't, I don't see it either. Look, there's no track record, and and professional athletes don't take a year or two years off and come back and become the same player. Exactly, MJ. MJ coming back from his stint in the minor leagues in the White Sox organization is is legitimately the only example of it happening in all of professional sports that I can think of, and certainly not someone who's done it multiple years. You go, you go, you go, sit down and do something else for two years. You cannot, and 
major North American sports, it, there's no there's no track record for it. People don't do it. It's almost impossible. Right. And he's he'll be 36 in August, I believe. So uh, the timing of all of this isn't great. It's not like it happened in his age 27 season and now he's 29. You know, he's at an extremely advanced stage of his career and you know so i don't know josh any final thoughts uh, on pedroia because jeremy and i've gone back and forth before we move on well i've i've, I've actually been listening intently to both of you guys because i don't have a, a full opinion formed yet now I, I think at the very end i'm leaning more josh terry but i'm <laughs> yeah. not gonna I'm not, not, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna root against thirty four, are you? You're you're hired, <laughs> oh, Josh. I'm you're hired. A, I'm over here sweat when you guys brought that up. Uh but no, but like uh you know, they're they're you gotta root for the guy. And you gotta root for the gives that he gives you, and you just kinda have to ignore what he takes away. Like for instance he won rookie of the year, won MVP, you know, he won two World Series with us. At the same time, those those leadership things that you guys have brought up with the Eck incident and the Machado incident. I mean, there was another one uh, way back. I think it was 2013 when uh, Ortiz like just went ape shit in the Baltimore dugout. <laughs> Pedroia probably should have been there. Probably should have been doing something, but he wasn't. I don't even know where he was in that video. Probably on the other end of the on the other end of the bench. At the same time, he he's our guy. And he's been elite for us for a long time. And while what you said, uh, uh, Jeremy, about how it's very hard for players to come back for two years of just basically not playing, the only person I can really think of that done that that did that was Sean Livingston, who plays for the Warriors. But that's that's basketball, which is a completely different game. Like he nearly had to get his leg amputated, comes back, and he starts winning rings. Pajoy is probably not going to do that. If we win the World Series this year. I, I don't think Pejoya is going to be like the core reason that happens. It's probably best to start thinking of Pejoya as a bench bat at this point, if he, if he does come back at all. And I, I don't, I don't really think he will, just from the way that it's gone about with his leg. I mean, he he gave up this interview about how he probably regrets having that surgery done and stuff like that. I'm not a doctor. I don't know much about it. All I know is that it's probably really tough to rehab something like uh you know the back of a the back of a kneecap when you're a second baseman that you know leaves it all on the field every single day as for the leadership thing that doesn't bug me as much cuz remember he's he's a player that gives and takes i think it was wrong to have the team assume that he was going to take a leadership position once ortiz retired i get it he's old but it doesn't it never really seemed like that was his sort of game at the end of the day my final opinion is going to be I don't expect anything from him, so anything I do get is gravy. That's probably what I'm going to go with. Fair enough. But I won't root against him, Terry. I can't I can't do that. Uh, yeah, you shouldn't. You shouldn't. Um, don't be Terry. Don't be Terry. <laughs> root for the guys that are wearing the jersey of your favorite team. All right. That's good advice for the audience. Uh, moving on, uh, a topic Jeremy might not be so comfortable with because I'm seeing a lot of pro Blake Swihart propaganda all over my Twitter right now. Oh, I'm right there with them. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. No, Swihart is my sweetheart. <laughs> I love Blake Swihart. 
Well, you and Jeremy shouldn't go out for drinks. Literally well, ever. hold on. Can you can you give the topic before you start chirping me about my opinion here? Um, I'm just just the catching situation in general. Blake Swihart uh, hitting 375, the highest average on the team. He does have fewer at bats, eight fewer at bats than Christian Vasquez, who's only hitting uh, 167, but. I'm talking about the pro uh, Swihart propaganda because he did catch four or five different catchers today, walked the tightrope in uh, what was a scoreless game and then a one nothing game, and a lot of people are kind of, you know, are complimenting him for his game-calling uh, abilities. So I just, I don't know. I, I don't know if Vasquez is the guy going forward, and I just wanted to talk about the catching situation. Well, I think Vasquez is going to be the guy, but I think Swihai is going to be a great backup, and I think his true value lies in these utility experiments that we've been trying for the past two years, you know, with him in the outfield, with him working, you know, in the infield and stuff like that. Now, granted, actually, to the beginning of the season, I thought uh, Blake Swihai was getting a lot of flack uh, because, you know, these people wanted Sandy Leon back like he's some sort of security blanket for the pitching rotation, like it's Blake Swihart who's calling fastballs down the middle or something. I I, I don't think Blake Swihart has had anything positive or negative to do with how the pitching rotation has worked these past couple of games. I'm happy that he's getting the work in because ultimately, beyond the value of him maybe being used as a utility man going forward, it's going to be his bat. And I think, and I think everyone can agree, Blake Swihart has more upside with the bat than Christian Vasquez. And I would rather see Blake Swihart hit than Christian Vasquez. Although I will say this, uh, the game that happened today, I don't know what Swihart was doing with the bases loaded when you had Mookie bats on the bench, and then you bring him in, uh, you bring in Mookie as a defensive substitute in the next inning. That that doesn't make sense to me. But I'll, I'll let that rest. But ultimately, I'm with the Blake Swihart propaganda. I think he's he's very viable to this team. I know there was a lot of talk about him getting traded last year. I'm glad that it didn't because I knew that, you know, for all the good Sandy Leon did, I think a lot of it was just placebo. I think a lot of it was just him. Just it, it was coincident. It was a coincidence. It was it was just him playing at the same time as one of the best Red Sox teams ever, and he just got a lot more support than he deserved. Because at the end of the day, Sandy Leon is just a journeyman catcher. Blake Swihart is our guy, and he has a lot of upside. And I think we should continue to develop him. So that's my take on that. Jeremy. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure what the propaganda is. Um, I guess it's, you know, it's so easy um, when you take a player who was a big part of the team last year, put him in the minors, and the team sucks as bad as it sucked, to say, you know, to take the low-hanging fruit and say that somehow Sandy Leon would have a difference in these games. Mm -hmm. At most, he would have played in five of them, more likely less. So I just don't see, certainly offensively, how he would have made a difference. Um, I've come out pretty strong. I, I Sandy Leone is his personal catcher. I hate it. I hate it a lot. I think it just is. I agree. 
I think it's I've used the term pussification of the modern professional <laughs> athlete last podcast, and I'm going to stick by it. I'm sorry. How does the ball leaving your hand as it goes through the strike zone have an effect? And I understand, for example, Sale takes the 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 pitch and the pitch location and throws it. So maybe he relies on the the the, the pitch called more than most. But you're a professional athlete. You know, take ownership and, and, and the ball as it comes out of your hand. And I'm just, you know, these umpires are not being tricked by framing or anything else. And really no one's better at it than Christian Vasquez in our organization anyway. So I just, I'm sorry. Get out. Uh, the guy catching the ball um, has very little effect. Maybe his uh, ability to call a game may be somewhat different. But, you know, guys, a lot of these young catchers and young pitchers, the calls are coming from the dugout anyways. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's just it's just silly to think that in his four starts that he'd have at this point that he'd have some big difference. Swihart creates a level of flexibility with the roster. And, by the way, they've obviously valued him as uh, a 40% catcher, meaning he's going to get 40% of the starts because they're not messing with him anywhere else. He's not DHing. He's not playing left. He's not mixing in and all the other spots that they've tried to find a spot for him in the past. He's going to split time with Vasquez and he's going to hit and he's going to put the ball in play hard. And when he gets on base, he's, he's not a stolen base, you know, per se threat, but he's a threat. And by that, uh, he's going to go to first to third on a ball hit to the left of the center fielder. And he's going to score on base hits, uh, from second base because he can run. Um, and then Vasquez is they they committed to Vasquez with the contract. He's got to be the starter. And if he's hitting two thirty five with an OPS of seven hundred or better, he's your best. You know, he's your best catcher. So Swihart's gonna. I, I just don't see it changing. And for the people that think that now that they're home, Leon's gonna get recalled, it's just not gonna happen. I mean, this the the, the catching has not been the problem. It hasn't been, in mm-hmm. my opinion. I agree. So, that needs to be said. That needs to be shouted from the rooftops. I've been so sick of that take. I put a lot of stock into the game calling ability, you know, and it's not the be all and end all, and it's not that Vasquez can't can't get there. But I mean, we saw it with Leon. We saw him turn around Rick Porcello's season in 2016, and you know, and and get him to a Cy Young award. Porcello's lights out, especially at home. And David Ross did, you know, was similar. That's a pretty similar comparison. And he parlayed his late 2013 postseason heroics into the same thing in 2016 with the Chicago Cubs. And he caught John Lester and, you know, he, he was the guy. And he was also a great leader as well, similar to how, uh, Veritech was with the Red Sox all those years, but I just, I, I, you know, whether they study the hitters beforehand, I mean, they, they have the analytics right in the dugout now anyway, but, but you know, when they know what pitch to call, when they know what the weaknesses is and the, and the pitcher is in sync with him, I think that's, that's a chemistry that, that can win you some games. So th- those are my thoughts on that. Another thing I want to say well, here, Oh, go ahead. I'm going to weigh in on Swihart so, in a minute. All right. Well, let me just say one thing. This is a problem that eventually is going to work itself out because 
catchers more than any other spot take a pounding. And except for maybe the Molina brothers, and they've had their, their injuries too. Um, you know, Veritek missed half a season diving in, into a uh, plastic on-deck circle. Um, he missed some games with a, a broken bone in his hand. Uh, he had a broken bone in his foot at one point. Missed games for whatever, you know, load management as a modern athlete would call it. This Leon's going to be a Red Sox. I mean, he's going to be a factor, like whether it's Vasquez, you know, like he did last year, broke his uh, index finger sliding into second. You know, Swihart taking a, a, a thrown, a fastball that rides in on him off the wrist or that same thing to Vasquez. These guys aren't going to be on the roster for all 162 games. So, you know, for the people that are crying for Leon, one, I don't understand it. But two, he's going to be here. He's going to be a factor, guys. He, you know, the, 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 the position lends itself to all of these programs, all every major league uh, baseball fr- franchise at some point has three, four, or five people playing the catching position over a year because of the, the way the, the position takes a pounding. So, you know, for the people that are waiting for Leon, he'll be here. Um, unfortunately, it'll probably be the result of either one, an injury, or two, extremely bad performance offensively uh, from one of the two guys currently on the roster. And he could very well be. And I wasn't, that wasn't me wanting Sandy back. I'm just saying, like, just in general, I you know I value a good game caller, and it doesn't have to be necessarily Sandy. And we saw it today with Blake, but um, I just uh, an observation I, I've made with Swihart for a while now. In 2015, when he was called up, John Farrell uh, was out on his cancer leave, uh, you know, getting treatment, and Tori Lavello was the interim manager and. We were the best team in baseball that season, the last two months, and but we were just so far out of it. It you know it didn't really make a difference. But it, I for whatever reason enjoyed watching it though because so many of the kids were up and we were seeing you know Matt Barnes you know for the first time and and Joe Kelly was you know on an eight and zero run and it just there were a lot of fun things going on. Jackie Bradley was hitting out of his mind for the first time in his career. And but a part of that was Swihart, and he he wasn't great defensively. You know he was had he pitched the whole season based on his numbers in that short sample size, he would have been by far the worst defensive uh, catcher that year. But but with a bat, he uh, he hit two seventy four. You know with a three nineteen OBP and a, and a three ninety two slugging percentage. Belted five homers and uh, drove in 31 runs. And this, I'm assuming, I don't remember where he was hitting, but it must have been towards the bottom of the lineup. And Vasquez, that was his Tommy John year, if I'm not mistaken, because uh, I think Ryan Hannigan uh, caught a lot of games that year. But um, but coming into 2016, the expectation among many was that Swihart was the guy at that point. And Vasquez, I can't remember if he made the big club or not right away, but, you know, he was being eased in, you know, because of his Tommy John. And what ended up happening was John Farrell was already paranoid that he could lose his job. And Tori Lovello, you know, was looking like a really good replacement based on, 
you know, his leadership those last couple of months. Like I said, the best team in baseball. And Swihart got off to a, a bad start defensively, and and Farrell wanted to go with Hannigan. You know, he, he always favored uh, veterans, and and uh, Vasquez was called up uh, towards the end of April or so, or May, and wasn't great offensively, and then Sandy Leone was called up and, and went on that run. But that was three years ago, you know, when Swihart basically got pulled, and he was converted into left field, had a pretty gruesome ankle injury that cost mm-hmm. him the rest of the season and kind of hindered him throughout 2017 in the minors. But I've always blamed John Farrell for, you know, for a lot of the misfortune Swihart has had. And there's a reason we haven't dealt him because we know the potential is there. He just hasn't had a chance to really show it. And when I talk about the propaganda, I don't know what's going to happen. I think the starting pitchers are going to have kind of a little bit of a say in what happens, you know, as far as him, you know, catching more or whatever. But I hope he gets a fair shot this year because he certainly has not had one. And I'm really curious. And I'd like to see what he can do. So I don't know if I'm officially pro Swihart yet, but I'm hearing the noise and I'm just as curious as everyone else. I'm really surprised at your optimism, Terry. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little taken aback. <laughs> Actually, you shouldn't be because I tend to be pro-prospect. And Jeremy, uh, I'm, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but Jeremy kind of is a little bit more comfortable with the veterans and, and stuff. So, um, hmm. I, you know, and like, for example, if, if Chavis was killing it, it wouldn't hurt my feelings one bit to DFA either Moreland or Pierce. And, you know, so... Jeez, that's... Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about that, but I see your point. No, I mean, he's right. He's pro-prospect. He's the type of Patriots fan that in the Bledsoe area was calling for Scott Zolak, and he's the type of Patriots fan that when <laughs> when we went 11-5 and in 08, everyone said Matt Castle's the answer. Uh, you know, so it's fine. Yeah, he loves prospects. I get it. Yeah, let's DFA Moreland, who's easily been our MVP so far. Uh, Pierce has been active for two days, uh, but yeah, let's DFA him uh, one, or, or both of them. Let's just get rid of both of them for for Chavis. That's fine. Let Dahlbeck, so. you know, split the time with him. But yeah, like great. I said, yeah. they they there have to go. justify it. I mean, if if Chavis is hitting two twenty down in Pawtucket, I'm not. I wouldn't agree with that. You know, I wouldn't agree with calling him up. You know, so I he's gotta he's gotta justify it, and I I'm not attached to anybody on this team. You know, we've debated the Mookie thing, uh, the Pedroia thing, which we're kind of in somewhat of an agreement on. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I love prospects. They they captivate my imagination. And, and you know, when Travis Shaw was having his breakout, I was all for it. And Farrell, in my opinion, I've said this many times, John Farrell is the reason he's not on this team anymore because he didn't know how the fuck to manage him. So now we got to watch him absolutely rake out in Milwaukee when he could have been our first baseman and just absolutely mashed all year long. But but, but that's another example. And he came out of nowhere, so he was especially fun to watch. 
I mean, look, Tra- Travis Shaw is not a great example of to prove my point, but. Uh, look, guys that have track record are preferred, in my opinion. Uh, obviously, there's a reason the Red Sox, ob- you know, agree with me here. Uh, uh, and, and there'll be a time for those guys. Both Moreland and Pierce, for example, uh, are on expiring deals, and they, you know, one or both of them will not be back next year. Um, so there'll be a time and a place for it. Um, I don't, I don't know that this podcast and this time of year is is, is the time to take up that fight. Uh, just one more thing to get off my chest, and we'll get to the preview and wrap. Um, I, I'm officially done with Jackie Bradley. Um, you know, he's just he's a great defender, and are we going to get that type of def- defense in, in center field in place of him? Not really. But if we can acquire somehow a bat that can give you consistent production – it, whether that's by average or, you know, lower average but higher, you know, home runs, you know, basically better power hitting, I would do it. And Andrew Benintendi could easily slot into center field, cover probably just about as much ground. The only slight difference is he, he doesn't quite have the arm that Bradley has. But when you look at a team sputtering like this and, and you want to shake things up a bit, if somebody wants Jackie Bradley and we can get a mid-level prospect in return, I'm all for it because I'm just I'm sick of the strikeouts. Uh, you know, he's almost an automatic out, and, and yes, he was clutch. You know, last October in a few at bats, but I'm just done with that guy. I mean, I'm not quite there. Um... I have no interest in a long-term deal at you know twelve to fifteen million or whatever the hell they he thinks he's going to get. Um, you know, to me, he's a he's a Moreland type of value uh, in that you know Pierce is in that range too, where it's you know six to eight million per year, small deals that probably continue you know two or three times over, but. If, if 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 he thinks he or he probably will, frankly, he's gonna you know the Reds or some bullshit program will give him, you know, four years, forty eight million dollars, and I, at that point, I'm just completely out. Um, he has a value, um, and I think he has a value on this team, especially because I'm not in a position to say that they shouldn't be still trying to repeat. They should be trying to repeat, and uh, Tuesday hopefully will be the the kickstart to to that. You know. Uh, that run that they're going to go on, but uh, do I need him starting, you know, every day in center field? No. Um, I like the idea of having him potentially actually be your fourth outfielder uh, with Benintendi in center and more offense in left. Or if you're going to go, let's say JD in left, have more offense at the designated hitter position, you know, one way or the other, however way you slice it, have someone that's got a better uh, OPS than 625 in the lineup, um, especially at the end of the lineup where you can turn it over and get it back to to the strength of this team, which is the one through four hitting. So uh, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not really willing to say at this point in the season I'm willing to give up on anybody. JBJ would be on the top of the list. Nunez has absolutely sucked. Uh, Devers has been problematic. But these guys... Um, we're all big parts of why they won a World Series last year, and I think 
giving them a chance to be back to their their normal spot uh, with their normal production gives us the best chance to to go ahead and try to be the first team to repeat in 20 years. So, uh, but I'll tell you right now, <laughs> if if we're still having this discussion two months from now, uh, and I think he's on an expiring contract or one more arbitration year. Um, if you can flip him for a need, like whether it be a bullpen or some other situation that may arise, whether it be due to injury or performance or whatever, uh, I, I'm not. I wouldn't be terribly sad to see him moved for for some sort of asset. I would do it. And another, I mentioned the Puig one for one deal. The Indians also tried the same thing with Edwin Encarnacion, and the Red Sox didn't do it. That was during the J.D. Martinez uh, offseason when we got him. But ugh. Josh, any thoughts before we uh, talk about the Blue Jays real quick? Yeah, no, I'm I'm with Jeremy 100%. The way I see JBJ is he's just he's a glove first guy. He's our guy. So I mean, if we can just get him on these kind of like small deals or whatever, it won't hurt too much. But you know, odds are he might get picked up by a club that might think they can do something with him. But to me. You know, I, I like the guy. I think he's been a fun player to watch that's had some interesting moments. I mean, not every day you see an ALCS MVP batting out of the ninth spot. But I'm not going to, you know, reach anything for him. He's clearly the the least important of our four outfielders. Um, uh, he shouldn't even be considered uh, contract-wise when discussing the contracts of the other players in the outfield. And if his time comes to an end in Boston, it won't kill me. I won't lose. I won't lose sleep over it. That's that's how I feel. Yeah. Well, like Jeremy said, two, you know, two months from now, and he might very well be that same guy. You know, barely hitting. I mean, last year up until I think July, he was hitting like one seventy, one eighty something. So his his slumps are a, a lot of a lot of being a JBJ fan is saying. His defense is defense is defense, and waiting for that thirty day period of time where he's an yeah. all, where he's a Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. Peaks but, and valleys. Yeah, but but the the peaks are thirty days, and the valleys are typically the rest of the season. Now, he's a Gold Glove center fielder, and he can go get it. And no one, potentially, in the history of the Red Sox, has been better at splash plays in the triangle and by the garage door at the four twenty marker. And, you know, playing the ball off of the left field's portion of the wall, even though he's a center fielder, and, and throwing people out. He's been historically good. But for well, those 130 games a year where he's an automatic out, it's tough to, to justify the rest of it. Well, mm-hmm. let, let me ask you guys this, though. Could Andrew Benintendi be as good defensively as Jacoby Ellsbury was, who didn't have a great arm? I mean, Jacoby Ellsbury was one step above Johnny Damon as far as arm strength. And I always, my conspiracy back in the day was that Johnny Damon was actually a right-handed thrower. That's how bad he <laughs> threw the baseball. Um, I, I think that he's more sound. Um, I think Ben Intendi does everything well. So, I mean, it, 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 it's, and he hasn't played enough center field. And he certainly hasn't played enough center field in that ballpark. Fenway's tough, man. Uh, right field's surprisingly tough because it's as big as it is, which gets overshadowed because how short left is. And you can hide people in left as, assuming they can handle the wall. Manny was the quintessential example of that. Uh, 
But center fielder, you have both the intricacies of the left field wall and the depth of right field and right center, again, out to that 420 triangle. Center field at Fenway is exceptionally difficult. Um, And that's one of the reasons why I think JBJ is still here is because no one has done it better than him. And they are obviously looking at advanced statistics and, uh, you know, certain information that maybe we're not consuming as the everyday fan that says, well, despite the fact that he goes into 130 games with one 30-day stretch where he's good, but otherwise he's terrible offensively, he's that valuable because of the way he he handles the intricacies of center field at Fenway Park. So um, do I think Benintendi is any semblance of that? No. I think Benintendi would probably be considered a below um, average center fielder, uh, you know, uh, and I don't know that I necessarily. That's one one of the reasons why I wouldn't be upset if JBJ was the fourth outfielder, because you could put him in in a one run game, especially with our bullpen, the way that you know they're going they're not going to be as good as they've been the first eleven days. They're not. They're they're. I don't think they're going to be as bad as Terry wants them to be, but I think they're going to be. They're going to come back down to to real life a little bit, and having JBJ in center field in that ninth inning with Brazier or Barnes. Uh, will potentially still win you a game or two more than than if Benintendi's out there. So, yeah, I yeah. wasn't. I was. I was trying to get away from JBJ with that comparison with Ellsbury a little bit. I'm never going to deny that JBJ is, is is anything less than the greatest Red Sox defensive center fielder of all time because he is, and he all he probably will be for the rest of our lifetime. But I think. Benintendi, you know, would be adequate. He is a natural center fielder. That's how he was drafted, and and I get that Fenway is a little unique. But with Ellsbury, we won two World Series, and I don't think I don't think Benintendi would be any worse than that. So is is the difference between Bradley and Benintendi in center? You know, is a World Series the difference between those two? I just I don't believe it is, and. Maybe that's why I'm a lot more willing so, to move on from him. So I think Ellsbury, Benintendi is a better throwing arm. Ellsbury, at the end of his Red Sox tenure, was very good at going and getting balls. Um, one of the things that would make me... So, I, so let me answer that directly. Ellsbury, to me right now, is a better was a better defensive center fielder in Fenway Park in his last two years as a Red Sox than, than Benintendi would be right now. But one of the things that would make me feel a little bit better about Benintendi is if you did have bets in right and an above-average defender in the left. Once you put J.D. in a corner outfield and Benintendi in center over the course of a full season, that's where I would have a little bit of an issue. Um, because Benintendi is a good defensive player. He's going to... I thought he should have made that play yesterday. The... He, he wound up diving for it um, in left center. thought that was a play that, that he should have made and, and you know could have made and should have made. Um, but um, I'd feel better about Benintendi in center every day if it was Betts and right and some other above-average defender in left. But with J.D. being the option, that's... I think he DHs, though. I don't don't think he comes off a DH, especially with the way he's been playing. But another thing, too, I mean, Benintendi had the play of the year 
of any athlete in any sport, I think according to Sports Illustrated, it was a major publication anyway, and and that was the the game ending. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The game ending catch against the Astros that one game. So I don't know. It's I mean we'll, we'll we'll probably be debating Bradley here and there throughout the course of the season, you know, for better or worse, uh, how he performs. But I just wanted to float that out of there. I'm officially in the uh, get rid of Bradley camp. <laughs> So I haven't Shocker. even said that on Twitter. But anyway, so we do have uh, just a short, weird series against the Blue Jays. We have an off day tomorrow. Home opener on Tuesday, another off day. I'm not sure why that is. And then we play a second game and final game of the series against them on Thursday. Oh, and I'm just noticing it's a 2.05. No, 2.05 is uh, Tuesday. Shit, so I'm going to miss that. Um, and then let's see, Thursday is a, uh, seven ten start, but, um, but yeah, so, uh, matchup number one, Matt Shoemaker against Chris Sale. Shoemaker has pitched seven innings in each of his two starts, scoreless in both. That's mm-hmm. kind of a surprise to me. He comes from Anaheim, uh, you know, the last few years, very injury prone, but, uh, the Blue Jays seem to be. Uh, catching lightning in a bottle, so to speak. And uh, it's another experiment with Chris Sale. Can he can he perform some magic with that 88-mile-an-hour uh, fastball and then that off-speed stuff that seemed to work very well against Oakland? Only one strikeout, but um, still held them to only one run. Uh, Jeremy, go ahead and lead off. How do you, how do you see that game playing out? I see the emotion of the ring ceremony and maybe the Patriots will be involved too. Um, I think typically they've been pretty good in those games. So I just think that the the, the emotion of the day hopefully will carry them. Um, and then Avaldi versus... Um, I'm, I'm spaced on the guy you literally Aaron just Sanchez. said, Sanchez. Yeah. Uh, Sanchez is a career... Uh, three point three nine guy. He's thirty and twenty in his career. Uh, one point three whip. Uh, that's a guy that you know uh, throws right. Um, has had some success. Uh, the Blue Jays stink. Same record as the as the uh, Red Sox. Uh, their lineup is obviously uh, not anywhere near what the Red Sox are. I I I, I, I hope they win ring ceremony day and they can find a way. Avaldi um, gets that win, and then they go and they can find those two wins, roll them into the or- Orioles series, and you could even come out of that at 500 or better because the Orioles are just god-fucking-awful. Um, so a split, you're treading water, but to win these two games would be huge. I think they can, and I think they will, um, just because I think they're 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 ready to they're re- there's guys that are ready to you know as the the old baseball saying is you know so and so's due you know you're zero and twelve you're whatever, you know Nunez is due Rafi Devers is due uh, I mean you know Vasquez is due Pierce is I mean so I just think that they're gonna roll here uh, the Blue Jays are god awful and then you can roll it into the Orioles series hopefully and uh, you know maybe two or three podcasts from now we're talking about how we're back to five hundred at the fresh start. 
Josh. Uh, I'm confident. I'm very confident. And I know I've been paying attention specifically to Matt Shoemaker because I have him in a couple of uh, couple of fantasy leagues. Um, but I think, as, as Jeremy said, momentum is going to take over. And it's, and it's why I thought today's win was so important. Everybody feels good. They get an off day tomorrow. They travel. They get their rings. You got Chris Sale on the mound. I don't know what the weather's going to be, but to me, that's as best as you can probably get with a Red Sox start. Am I right? As for the day after, uh, you said Sanchez. He's also been extremely good, I think. Uh, he's had two deep starts, and I think he's had a lot of uh, strikeouts for both. But if I remember right, and uh, I did take a look at the stats while you were talking, he does have a uh, 406 ERA and 19 career appearances versus Boston. So that's something to look at. Now, for the second start, I'm more concerned about Evaldi than Sanchez. I I mean, I wasn't really thrilled with the contract we gave Evaldi. Um, I don't think he's going to be anything special. And if looking at the rotation as a whole, I would think besides Erod, Evaldi would be the the slowest you know one to get back to to being all right, being decent, not being an eyesore every every damn start. So that's my take on that. Like what Jeremy said, I think we're going to have two wins. I think we need two wins because if we don't, if we, you know, drop one, hell, if we even drop two and then go into the Orioles series, then maybe we start kind of looking at the panic button a little bit, you know, see how we, you know, play against Baltimore because, as Jeremy said, Blue Jays ain't a good team. I know they got the same record as us, but look at the talent. It's, you know, it's it's a continental's worth uh continent's worth of um of space between these two teams talent wise we should be able to take both these uh games the blue jays are you know in the midst of a rebuild and i I think they're kind of closer to being competitive than a lot of teams are but that that are rebuilding i mean um but we'll see i mean for me i mean we just don't it's impossible to predict how this is going to go for sale uh, you know, we've seen two drastically different starts from him. Uh, his most recent one was the better one, so maybe, you know, maybe he's that much closer to figuring it out. But it just depends on what teams are better at hitting off-speed type pitches, and I honestly don't know, you know, how that translates against Toronto. But I mean, he could get shelled, and then we're not even going to have a chance, you know, from the get-go or. Maybe he does, but with this lineup being hot and cold, I mean, Shoemaker kind of concerns me a little bit with his hot start. Nobody really has a huge sample size against him, except for maybe J.D. Martinez, who is only 2 for 14. That's a 154 average, so he'll probably be in the lineup because it's, you know, it's the home opener, but if you were going to start Pedroia, you know, that might have been you know, a good chance to DH him. And then Nunez is two for four, small sample size. That's probably just one game. Steve Pierce, two for six. But again, I don't think they're going to they're gonna not start J.D. Martinez in the home opener. As far as Evaldi goes, I, I'm not impressed. I mean, a lot of people drank the punch from last October. I He is a career 415 guy. That is who he is. Hopefully he can kind of go on a run here, kind of like how you see Porcello do. But, you know, he attacks the zone. A lot of balls get fouled off. 
you know, and he just mm-hmm. his pitch count runs high, similarly to Eduardo Rodriguez. So that's just another another uh, start that I'm a little concerned with. But like you said, Josh, we are you know we hit Sanchez pretty hard, and so maybe maybe it's one of those pissing contests where one team beats the other eight to seven, but. Hopefully these guys turn it around. I mean, we're three and eight. We we gotta we we gotta win games. However, we can win them. I'm in the you know I, I have the mindset now where it's just one game at a time. You know, just focus on winning today and then focus on winning tomorrow. I'm not looking. I, I honestly I don't know how far we are behind the the Rays right now in the standings. You know, it was four games last I knew, but. Just game by game, hopefully these guys step it up. The bullpen is holding its own, to my surprise. And, um, you know, this is only a two-game set. So hopefully Sale finds a way to keep us in it. But I I honestly have no idea how how that's going to (laughs) go, you know. And, and in fact, I'll only be hearing it on the radio because it's an early start, but... Uh, any thoughts before we wrap? Uh, none that we haven't already touched base upon. Um, I'll stick with my final take here that I think we're going to sweep the Blue Jays and we're going to go roar into the series. I think this is where we turn the page, put the West Coast trip behind us, and about a week's time we're going to be 500 or over. Uh, my final take is that Terry's takes have not been as bad today as usual. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Okay. Well, I appreciate that. That's a compliment, Terry. You should take it as I'm such. doing okay as far as my seasonal picks go, but, you know, well, that's fine. Well, baby steps, right? Baby steps. Um, baby steps. Josh, thanks for coming on. You're phenomenal, and we enjoy having you. So, uh, Thank you so much. We'll, we'll try to have on. you on again uh, whenever we can. So, uh, All right. right. Awesome. Well, have a good night. Uh, Jeremy, I'll see you uh, Thursday night, and uh, hopefully we have more positive news to talk about. Night, everybody. Good night. So that's episode 123 in the books. Uh, Not a great series. Like I said, all eyes except for mine will be on Chris Sale because I have to work. Um, But hopefully, hopefully um, better um, results, you know, compared to opening day and Hopefully elevating his fastball a little bit. I just love to see low 90s, 91, 92. I think he can kind of, you know, maybe craft that into a uh, effective pitch. I said in the last episode, I have a lot of concerns with sliders, you know, throwing them too heavily because it's a violent motion and you don't want him to injure the elbow you know where he's compensating for his shoulder so anyway we'll we'll get in we got all season to gripe about that but uh hope you enjoyed it and uh have a good start to your work week and we will see you on thursday take care red sox
Sucks Nation. It's a kind of insanity. Yeah, I live and die with Red Sox pride for eternity. I sleepwalk 